Wow, man, so amazing. If you can't be inspired by this tonight, I don't know what would inspire you. Uh, absolutely amazing. It's my joy and privilege to be with you tonight. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, let me invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be rooted tonight, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just say, man, it just overwhelms me uh, to look out at these missionaries tonight that are serving all over the world and just think about all that God is doing through their ministries. I came to my first Shades Mountain GIC in 2004 and just to think about all of the work that's happened uh, since 2004. Uh, it's absolutely amazing and what I just believe tonight uh, for you guys is that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I know for many of you, you're rolling into this GIC, and this is a very welcome break. And for a lot of you, you may not really be believing right now that he who began the work will complete it. And what I'm praying for you in these days while you're here is that you will re-fall in love with the God who called you, and you'll fall back in love with the vision that he gave you for the place where you're serving. And you'll remember that he's going to complete the work in which he called you there to do in the first place. And I just say amen to you. And I'm cheering you on for all that you're doing. It's absolutely amazing. And before I dive in, I just want to say a word to your pastor tonight. It was a dark night in 2003. And we were coming back from the Chart House restaurant in Weehawken, New Jersey. Uh, on the New Jersey Transit uh, boat that just takes you across the Hudson River of uh, the ferry. And uh, Danny came up and sat beside me and began to talk about Shades' vision for the world and their vision and heart for missions. And we began to talk and he began to ask questions about New York City. And uh, it was very quickly after that that we formed a partnership. And as was mentioned earlier, the partnership was formed with Kevin and Kristen Pounds and the Point Church. But it was in 2009 when I called Danny back up and I said, hey, I think it's time to, to re-up because there's more work to be done in New York. And uh, we started with this little vision called Send NYC. And Danny was one of the few early adopters in this vision uh, to see 100 churches planted in New York um, over a 10-year period from 2010 to 2020. And Danny signed on early on. And as we got together and prayed and were believing God for that strategy, uh, we had no idea what was in the works. And what ended up happening is as we began to pray, we were praying for 100 churches in New York, and we were praying that one day God would take that vision in New York and spread it to cities all across North America. And little did we know that within a year and a half of our prayers and our getting together and coming up with a strategy, God would allow circumstances to happen where the North American Mission Board would take this little Send NYC strategy and they would make it their national strategy. And so what started in one city in 2009, 2010, by the end of 2011 had quickly spread to 30 two cities. And the vision moved beyond planting 100 churches in one city uh, over 10 years, but to 1,000 church, 1,000 plus churches being planted every year in major cities all across America. Only our God can do that. And God sovereignly used Danny and this church uh, in that effort. And here's what we know today. 
we know that eternity is different today because of the investment that you have made in the kingdom. You see, what happens in these three days really is just a microcosm. It's just an opportunity for you to hear the stories of what God is doing. But the real story will be told one day when we all get to heaven and all the people who've been impacted for eternity because of your faithfulness are going to come up to you and they're going to be thinking you on the streets of glory one day saying, listen, you don't know me, but you invested in me. You invested in my pastor, my church planter. You invested in the missionary who came to our village. And I have you to thank today because I'm here in heaven because of your faithfulness in the gospel. And so I just want to say on behalf of all these missionaries and on behalf of mission agencies around America and around the world, I just want to thank you for your partnership in the gospel because the gospel is moving forward in places all over the world today because of your faithfulness. And praise God for that. Thank you very much. Let's stand tonight in honor of reading God's Word. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And as we read here, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and here's what he says. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let's say that together. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let's say it again. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. One more time, just for fun. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray tonight that in the few moments that we have together, God, more than having another church experience God, more than hearing another sermon, God, really even beyond being called to missions, God, I pray tonight that our heart would get in alignment with your heart. God, that we would see the world the way you see the world. God, that we would see people the way you see people. God, that we would hurt for people the way you hurt for people. God, that our hearts would break for people the way that your heart breaks for people. And God, we know that when our hearts get in alignment with your heart, then we will be on mission. Because God, you are the God of mission. You're the one who thought of mission in the first place. And so God, tonight, I just ask you in these moments that we have together that our hearts would come in tune with your heart tonight for the world. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as Danny mentioned uh, to you in the beginning, I've been married for 17 years to my wife, Carmen. And uh, before we got married, we were childhood childhood sweethearts and then high school sweethearts, and we dated four years uh, before we got married. But we got married in 1998. And when God put us together in marriage, what he did is he called us to ministry. 
And my wife is my number one ministry partner. We're actually equals in our ministry together. And we, we equally believe in the things that God has allowed us to be a part of over the years. And early in our ministry, we worked with college students at Middle Tennessee State University. And then we helped plant a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And then shortly after our time in Atlanta, 9-11 happened in New York City. And all of a sudden, the world changed for us after watching the towers come down in New York City. All of a sudden, our little southern upbringing, we were both from the south, our little southern upbringing all of a sudden paled in comparison to the vastness of the world that New York City represented. And as those towers came down in the days after, as the world began to pray for New York, our hearts began to break for New York. Little did we know that God was at work and that one day we would be living in New York City. Actually, a year after 9-11, I went to lunch with a friend of mine, and we were just going to hang out at lunch that day and just get caught up. And at the end of lunch, he said, hey, I think you and Carmen ought to move to New York City and be a part of what God is doing in that great city. And I told him that he was absolutely crazy. I said, no way are we going to move to uh, New York. You see, I grew up in a little community outside of Louisville, Kentucky called Highview. And when I grew up in Highview, Highview had two stoplights. Uh, and so it was not a mega metropolis by any stretch of the imagination. My wife grew up in Oakway, South Carolina. And to this day, Oakway has a stop sign. And a few years ago, they decided to put a flashing red light on the sign just to make themselves feel a little more uptown. A couple of years ago, they got a Dollar General store in Oakway, and now they think they are big time in Oakway. There are absolutely more chickens in Oakway than there are people, and that's where my wife grew up. And so neither of us were major city people, and we were as surprised as anybody that God would call us to a place like New York. But call us, he did, and my wife was probably the most excited about the opportunity to go to New York. You ask her to this day, and she misses New York. We've been living back in Atlanta for a couple of years now, but she misses New York. And so my wife has been completely bought in to our calling over time. But here's why my wife's bought in. She's bought in to our calling because she's first bought in to Jesus. And she fell in love with Jesus at a very young age. Actually, crazy story. In 1938, my great-great-grandmother had a hand in planting a church um, just outside of Louisville, near where I grew up. And she had a hand in planting this church because she noticed that none of her neighbors were going to church. And so she decided to start a Bible study under an oak tree out in her front yard. And that Bible study, over the course of a few years, ended up becoming the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And in 1988, when my wife's family moved from Oakway to Louisville for a short time, they started attending Bethlehem Baptist Church. And it's in that church that my great-great-grandmother had a hand in starting that my wife gave her heart to Jesus in 1988. Absolutely amazing. But my wife fell in love with Jesus at a very, very young age. And so the reason that our calling is synonymous is because she's in love with Jesus and realizes Jesus has given her a lot. And so she's willing to follow Jesus wherever he takes us all over the world. And so in 2011, we moved back to Atlanta, Georgia to be a part of the North American Mission Board. And when we moved back, we really didn't know where we wanted to live, but we decided that we would move into the city of Atlanta. Now, while we were in New York, our hearts began to break for cities. 
And what we begin to realize about cities is that cities influence the way the rest of the world thinks and behaves. The major cities of the world influence how the world thinks and behaves. But what we realized also is that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, a lot of evangelical Christians moved out of the cities in America. And so we recognize that there is a major shortage of evangelicals living in the heart of our cities. And Atlanta was no exception. And so when we moved to Atlanta, we decided we wanted to live right in the heart of the city. And so we bought an old house. It's a 1920s bungalow that was basically falling down. We're the third owner in the 95-year history of that house. Uh, To tell you how bad the house was, you could go onto the back uh, porch and into the back room, and you could use the back room as a trampoline uh, because the, the floor did not meet up with the foundation. So essentially, the house was, a, was falling down all around us. But we spent 17 months fixing this house up. It was supposed to take, you know, eight months, and of course it turned into 17. You know how that goes. And we spent 17 months uh, working on this house so that we could live right in, in the heart of the city of Atlanta. And so this past May, uh, just about a year ago now, we moved into our house and absolutely love it. Our church is right there in the community. And so we're able to be a part of ministry to our neighbors and to the community. But our move into the city has not been without its trials and tribulations, really. On October the 3rd, uh, we had gone to football with my nine-year-old son that morning. And uh, he played in a little youth football league. And we had taken two cars to football that morning. And so uh, when we came home, I took the three older kids home with me. I had my parents with me. They were visiting from Kentucky and we went home. My wife stopped by the grocery store and we were home and sitting in our back room watching TV in our our back room watching college football actually in our back room. And my mom was sitting in our kitchen and she looked out the back window and she saw Carmen's car pull up. And so she wasn't really paying attention too much uh, to that, but she saw Carmen's car pull up. And then as she looked closer out the window, she saw Carmen get out of the car And then immediately in the backyard with Carmen were three men. And one of the three men was holding a gun. And so my mom kind of calmly got my attention. She said, Aaron, Carmen's in the backyard and there's three men out there and one of them, I think, has a gun. And so I turned my head to look out the window of our doorway And the first thing I see as I look out there is my wife on her knees with one of her hands up in the air and a gun pointed to her head. And immediately I get up from the couch where I'm I'm seated and I walk to the door and thank God for the peace that passes all understanding because there's this still small voice came over me in that moment and said, Aaron, however you open the door right now will determine how all of this goes down. So I opened the door fairly calmly. And when I opened the door, fortunately, the gun went up away from my wife. And it was at that point that I completely lost my mind. And I went charging out after these guys saying every word that my mother had told me never to say in my life, screaming at them. I didn't have any kind of weapon. All I had was these big arms. So I'm just swinging my arms, screaming bloody murder. And fortunately, these guys took off down the the street and down the alleyway behind our house. 
I really never stopped to consider what I would have done if they had decided to stick around. Fortunately, they started to move. To make matters a little bit funnier, and we laugh about this now, okay, so y'all can, y'all can loosen up and laugh a little bit. But to make matters funnier, my dad, who is a Vietnam vet, he's 68 years old. As I'm chasing these guys down the alleyway, my dad passes me up halfway, sprinting after him. He's got a stick in one hand, and he's got the other hand up in the air, and it's kind of a Braveheart moment. He's like, you're not going to take our freedom, you know, and he's just screaming and running after him, and I have to grab my dad and bring him back. Like, dad, dad, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. Long story short, they ended up catching the guys. Uh, they were from another state, actually, uh, not Alabama. Uh, they are from another state, uh, and they just come into Atlanta to wreak havoc for an afternoon, and fortunately, they caught them, but I say all that to say that for the first time in our ministry, we were really presented with a challenge. Because for us, living in the cities, living in New York, living in a place like Atlanta, really wasn't that big of a deal. We loved it. But now all of a sudden, when our family's safety, my wife's safety is put on the line, you really have to start rethinking things. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is the end of this short-lived we're back out to the suburbs or the rural area of Atlanta but actually as my wife and I sat down and talked about it she was steadfast in the fact that no 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 God has called us here he has us here for this time and we are going to stay here God has called us here to invest here. He's called us here to give back here. He's called us here to reach our neighbors here. We are the ones that God has put here. And there is not going to be anything. No weapon formed against us will prosper, we believe. And so we're going to stay right here. That's what she told me. And as I started to reflect on that and and on her spirit in that moment, what I really believe and what I really know to be true today is that the only way my wife was able to say that in the midst of such distress is that she really, really, really believes in Jesus. And she really, really believes that Jesus has called her and called us to that place for such a time as this. And at the end of the day, what she really believes is that because Jesus has given us so much, we in turn need to give him our lives. And we need to be willing to lay it all on the line for the sake of his glory. And so the reality of mission tonight, the thing that I hope we can get instilled in us tonight, the reality of mission tonight is that We're not called to mission per se. No, but what we are called to do is to join with Jesus and align our hearts with Jesus and see the world the way Jesus sees the world, to see people the way that Jesus sees people. And when our hearts are aligned with Jesus and when we start to see people the way that Jesus sees people, then yes, we will be on mission. And so the thing that I want us to think about tonight is we, as people who are followers of Jesus, if we've been given so much in Jesus, then we have a whole lot to give away. And so Paul's writing to the church at Philippi tonight, and this is essentially what he is saying to them. He is reminding this Philippian church that they have been given a whole lot through Jesus, that he has given them everything that they need. He has given them their very foundation for life. And he says there 
He says that if you, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he's reminding them. He's saying, listen, if, there, if you've been united in Christ, if you found any comfort in his love, any fellowship in the Holy Spirit, if you've received any affection in sympathy. And so he's reminding them of what Christ has called them to. But a lot of times... The Philippian church is no exception, and we are certainly no exception. A lot of times we forget what Christ has called us to because we have forgotten what he has called us out of. We forget what Christ has called us to because we quickly forget what Christ has called us out of. And so before we can live our lives on mission, before we can start to see the world the way Jesus sees the world, before we can start to see our neighbors the way that Jesus sees our neighbors, before we can love on these missionaries the way we're supposed to love on these missionaries, we first have to be reminded of where mission starts in the first place, and the mission starts with God. See, God was the first missionary sending agency. And God, being the first missionary sending agency, sent his son to us to do for us what we couldn't do on our own. Ephesians 2 tells us, it says this, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So right then and there, we're reminded immediately of what our condition was before Christ. Paul's telling the church at Ephesus, listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead. There's nothing worse than being spiritually dead. And for all of us who are in Christ Jesus tonight, that was our condition before we met Christ. So we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2 says. We were children of wrath. We were without hope. We were separated from God. We were, we were alienated. We were far off from God. We were strangers and aliens. We were all of those things without God. We were utterly hopeless. It's probably important to note tonight that most of the world today is spiritually dead. By most estimates, we estimate 5 billion people around the world do not have a saving relationship with Jesus And so all these things I just said about our former condition for those who are in Christ Jesus is true for about 5 billion people around the world today. They are dead in their trespasses and sin. They're sons of disobedience. They're children of wrath. They're without hope. They're separated from Christ. They're alienated far from God and strangers and aliens. That's true for 5 billion people. That's true for 70% of Birmingham today. But here's the good news for us who are in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't stop there. The Holy Spirit didn't stop there. He reminds us in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, it says, but God. And I love it that that, that's where it starts, that we get that conjunction in there, that but God. So he interrupts sort of all this litany of bad things, these things that were our former condition. And then he reminds us that but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love for us in which he loved us even when we were dead. He loved us even when we were dead. He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift 
of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So if you want to know tonight why we need to be people who are on mission, it's because we were once dead people. We were lost and we were without hope in the world, and our only hope for salvation was Jesus Christ. There was nothing that we could do on our own to get our way to God, which by the way is what most of the world's trying to do. They're trying to figure out a system to get to God. Maybe if I just do enough, maybe if I just work hard enough, maybe if I'm just enough, a nice enough person, maybe if I just give enough money away. That's what most of the world's doing tonight. But what we know tonight is that the secret of the gospel is, the heartbeat of the gospel is, but God, being rich in mercy, gave himself for us by his grace alone. Why? Because we couldn't do it on our own. You see, here's the beautiful thing about the gospel tonight is that God knows us. He knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet he still chose by his grace to save us. That's this God that has called us now into mission. And so I think we can't start a conversation about mission or what it means to be on mission with God unless we remind ourselves of what the heartbeat of the gospel is. And the thing that we have to remind ourselves tonight is that the reason we go serve on mission is not out of duty and not out of obligation. The reason we love on our neighbors or the reason we love Birmingham is not because our pastor told us to. It's not because we had this amazing conference. We do it all because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and when that's the motivating factor of our mission then we will see amazing results that can only be attributed to Jesus and so the heart of our mission tonight we have to remember that we have been given much and the only thing that's going to sustain us in mission is when we realize that it's only by the grace of God that we're standing here today and it's only by the grace of God that our friends our co-workers our family members those we're trying to reach those in this community those in the mission field it's only by the grace of God that they're going to come to saving faith in God there's nothing that we can do apart from the work of Jesus in our lives and we have to remember that in some ways that ought to be a relief to you Because as we look around the room and we start to think about the overwhelming magnitude of the mission, it could get overwhelming and it it could get depressing. We could be thinking, man, how in the world could we do all of this? There's there's so much need. There's so much hurt. There's so much brokenness in the world. And there's only a few of us. How are we going to accomplish anything? And at the end of the day, what God's calling us to do is not to get all that figured out. He's just calling us to be faithful in what he has called us to. He's calling us to be faithful to him first. And then as we're faithful to him and he starts to direct our path, he's going to lead us in the way that we need to go. And he's going to lead us to the people and to the places that need him most as we're in relationship with him. And so the whole mission starts tonight by us remembering what Jesus has done for us. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say it's just good enough to remember what Jesus has done. No, there is an activity to the church. The whole whole heartbeat of the church, the whole purpose of the church is to live sent, to live on mission. The church is not meant to be a monument or a museum. The church is meant to be on a mission. And so Paul immediately moves from reminding people of who they are in Christ to reminding them and showing them that their mission on earth is to not sit idle. 
but to be about the mission and what God has called them to. And he gives them a key principle to being on mission. And here's what he says in verse 3. He says, you need to count others more significant than yourselves. You know, isn't it amazing that Paul doesn't give them some major strategy here? He doesn't talk about planting churches. He doesn't talk about unreached people groups. He doesn't talk about all the X's and O's of mission strategy. He doesn't talk about social ministry and this needs-based ministry or any of these other kind of things. No, he starts with the gospel and then he says, it's very simple, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, if we're not willing to love other people, if we're not willing to consider others more significant than ourselves, then we're not going to be very good on mission. If we don't like other people, if we don't like the people we're around or the people we're trying to serve, then we're not going to be real good on mission. I remember moving to New York City and then that was a massive culture shock for us when we moved there and it took a lot to get used to uh, just the, the New York way, the Manhattan way where we, where we live. But we ultimately figured out that we loved these people. Even though they were, they were far different from the people I had grown up around, we loved those people. And God broke our heart for those people. And at the end of the day, the way we're on mission is we have to count others more significant than ourselves. There's two things I want to give you tonight as we think practically about serving. I love the vision of this church. I love that it's the vision of this church to continue reaching Birmingham the United States, North America, and the world. I I love it that your vision hasn't stopped after the first GIC. It hasn't stopped after the first mission campaign. I don't know how many different vision strategies you've had, but I've come around a few times, and there's always been some new energy behind mission and serving around the world. And I absolutely love it. We don't need to grow weary in doing good. Until Jesus comes back, we are always going to be on a mission here on this earth. So I love this church. And my prayer for you in these three days, as you all confer together, as you have this celebration this conference my prayer for you in these days is that God would just open up your heart to the people who are around you that need Jesus and yes he may in that process start revealing places that are outside of Birmingham where you need to go and be a witness for the gospel but for a lot of you in this room the mission's going to start right here in Birmingham For a lot of you in this room, the mission is going to start right in your own home with your children or maybe a husband who doesn't know Jesus. For a lot of you, the mission is going to start in your place of work. When you go to work on Monday and you realize, man, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who don't know Jesus. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. And what you're going to quickly figure out is that maybe God has put me here in this place to be the light of the gospel. I'm in a place every day that our pastor can't go into. And the reason that God has put me here is so that I can be a witness for the gospel. Some of you are teachers and you're going to realize very quickly that God has put you there in that school on mission. Some of you are students and you're going to realize very quickly in these three days that God has placed you in that place for such a time as this to be on mission with him. You see, there, there are no accidents with our God. As God knitted us together in our mother's womb, the scripture says he was ordering our steps. He was numbering our days. He knows where we're going to go. He knows the places we're going to go. And it's no accident that you're here tonight. And it's no accident that you're going to go to the places where you're going to go tomorrow. 
And it's no accident you're in the school or the workplace that you're in. And as carriers of the gospel, you're there to be on mission. I'm sure it's been said to you many times before, but mission isn't reserved just for the people who are sitting in this section. Yes, God has called these people to certain places and to certain ministries. He's called some of them to leave their homes and go to faraway places. He's called some of them to learn languages and to learn new cultures and to learn to eat new types of foods. And he's, he's taken their, them away from their immediate family. Yes, God does that. And God may do that for some of you. We're praying in these days because we need more of you. But mission isn't just reserved for the people sitting in this section. You see, when Jesus gave us his great commission, he was giving it to the entirety of the church. You see, when Jesus said, go ye therefore into all nations, that wasn't just thinking about a few people. No, that was thinking about the entirety of the church. And so some of you have probably let yourself off the hook a little bit thinking, well, man, we celebrate these missionaries. Praise God. Let's just pat them on the back. Let's encourage them. Let's give them some presents in these three days and, and be real big encouragement, maybe get some financial resource. And, and man, we kind of get to get off the hook for the other 362 days out of the year. But the reality is none of us are off the hook because when God called us, when he saved us, he also called us to his mission. And so there's two things I want to give us tonight as we think about our strategy for how we're going to reach the world. As you think about your strategy for how you're going to reach the people around you, as you start to think about and discern maybe what it is that God is calling you to, there's two things I want us to think about tonight. In Luke 4:18, it says this, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so there's two parts to our mission tonight. If you've got something to take notes, I'd encourage you to write these down. But there's two parts to our mission tonight. First of all, God has called us to be eyes for those who cannot see. God has called us to be eyes for those who cannot see. There are billions of people, five billion people on the planet today who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus. There are thousands of unreached people groups, meaning there are groups of people around the world who've never heard the gospel, or there's no sustainable church witness in their particular tribe or their particular part of the world. There are places in North America where you could go today that are extremely de-churched, that where the population to church ratio is extravagant. And so there are many, many places in the world today where there are people who have not heard the gospel. Now, I know for me growing up in the South, it's almost impossible to comprehend that there are places where people have not heard the gospel. I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, executive pastor in our church. And so as far back as I can remember, I have been in church. And the people around me have been in church. Going all the way back, as I said earlier, to my great-great-grandmother. We know our spiritual heritage is deep. So it's hard for me to fathom that there are places in the world where people have not heard the gospel. But we know that it's true. And some of you have been to those places and you get there and you're absolutely amazed at the lostness and you can't believe that it's there. And so God has called us to go and proclaim the good news to those who have not heard. Well, why do we need to go and proclaim the good news? You know, if God is all sovereign, if God's all knowing, 
Won't he just kind of figure out a way to let them know about him so that they can get into heaven? The reality of the scripture is, is that they will not know unless they hear. And the only way they're going to hear is unless somebody who is an ambassador of the gospel carries that gospel to them. And so you cannot come to saving faith in Jesus apart from the revealed word of God. And the revealed word of God needs somebody to go and speak it into places where it has not been heard. And the only way it's going to get out there is unless people carry the gospel. And so first and foremost, in any strategy of missions, we have to be proclaimers of the gospel to people who are currently spiritually blind. And so as we start to think about Birmingham, as we start to think about North America, as we start to think about the world, where are the places or who are the people in your life that are currently spiritually blind? And maybe God has put you in their life to be the one who proclaims the gospel to them in their context. Because the only way they're going to come to saving faith is if they hear the gospel. As I mentioned earlier in my story, my dad in 1969 was uh, in the Vietnam War. And uh, he served 18 months in Vietnam. And from time to time, as I was growing up, I would hear him talk a little bit about Vietnam, and I would look. He had some pictures and scrapbooks, and I would look through those, but he didn't talk a whole lot about the war like a lot of guys from that era, and and so I really didn't know a whole lot. Well, in 2000, I was invited by the International Mission Board to go to Vietnam and take a vision trip so that maybe I would take college students back to Vietnam. And so I decided to take my dad with me on that trip. And so I took my dad with me to Vietnam. And we got to walking around the city, Ho Chi Minh City, and we got out into some of the the other parts of of the country, the Central Highlands and other parts of the country. And I saw my dad over the course of a couple of days, I saw his heart change toward Vietnam. And one of the things we learned while we were on that trip, at, at that time in 2000, Uh, Over 50% of the country uh, were under or right at the age of 25. They were the post-war generation. The other thing that we started to see is that there were lots and lots of these post-war generation uh, kids who were going to college. And they were very inquisitive about the West. And they were very inquisitive about how they could make a better life for themselves and for their families. And they were just kind of latching on to anything that we would say. And they'd show up and have coffee and hang out with us. And my dad's heart began to break for the people of Vietnam. And so he went back from that trip and decided he wasn't going to be idle about what God was doing in his life. And so he started a ministry using his skills, his business skills as an executive pastor He started a ministry for the people of Vietnam and for these students in particular. And he wrote a little book called The Road to Success. And in this book was just basic business principles. How to write a resume. How to go to an interview. How to dress for an interview. Just all the basic things that you would want students to know about how to conduct business. But in the back of that book, he put the Gospel of John in the back of the book. Now, if you know anything about Vietnam, they're not, at that time at least, they were not real keen on the Bible being distributed around the country. But the communist government of Vietnam took my dad's book and they endorsed it. And they put the communist seal right on the front of it, which meant that that book could be distributed anywhere it wanted to be distributed. 
And so they just started distributing this little simple book my dad put together called The Road to Success all over the country. And students that he would meet in Ho Chi Minh City, they'd start carrying the book back to their villages and places where they, where they came from. So one year they passed these books out and probably about five years later, they were up in the central highlands of Vietnam and they got out into a very remote place in the central highlands and they go into this village and they get into the village and they've got Bibles with them and they're going to talk to people about Jesus in this particular village. And now they'd been in a lot of villages along this trip and every village they'd been to was lost. Nobody in the village was a believer in Jesus. So they get to this particular village and the first person they meet was a believer in Jesus. And then that believer started introducing them to other believers in Jesus. And the next thing you know, they've got four or five people who now believe in Jesus. And so somebody, my dad asked the question, he goes, well, how did you all hear about Jesus? And one of the guys went back to his home, brought back this book, and the book was called The Road to Success. And what had happened was somebody in that village had read the Gospel of John in their own heart language. They'd given their lives to Jesus. And they then started to lead others in the village to Jesus and began to disciple them. All because a student from Ho Chi Minh City met my dad, took the book, took it back to his home village, left it with somebody, they read it, and Jesus stepped in and saved them. They went from being spiritually blind to now having sight. Now my dad, if he was standing here tonight, he would tell you that he, he's not a big orator. He doesn't stand in front of people. He just took the skills that he had, that God had given him, and tried to figure out a way to leverage those for the gospel. And when my dad sat down and wrote out his strategic plan, he didn't write anywhere in the strategic plan that one day in some remote village way out somewhere, there's going to be a group of people who come to faith in Jesus. He had no idea. But by him taking the step of obedience and faithfulness and just doing what God had called him to do in a very small way initially, God took the rest and did the rest and led people to different places. And people all over the country of Vietnam are now coming to saving faith in Jesus. You see, that's what God has called all of us to do. He's called us to be ambassadors for his sake. As we consider others more significant than ourselves, we're thinking, you know, listen, they're more important to us. They're more important than us. They're more important than our comfort, our, our needs. Because we believe deep down in our souls that people apart from Christ will not spend an eternity in heaven. And so when we consider others more significant than ourselves, we know that unless we go to them, Unless we go to the people who do not know, they're not going to hear. And so as we start to think about mission tonight, we need to think about the people around us or the peoples around us or the places around us where people have not heard the gospel. And then the last thing I'll say about our, our strategy for mission, after we've proclaimed the gospel to those who have, not, who, who have not heard, after we've revealed the gospel, spoken the word of God clearly, is that we need to be a people who are a voice for those who have no voice. It's because of the gospel that God allows us to see people the way that he sees them, and we start to see people around the world who are voiceless, people who are being taken advantage of, people who have major needs that maybe we as the church could step in. 
as I was watching these missionaries come forward tonight, some of these missionaries in this city, in Birmingham, have identified some of those needs. There, there's, a, there's a voiceless group of people called the unborn children. And I know there are people out here that are doing ministry among the unborn in the city of Birmingham. I saw some that are doing ministry among, I'm assuming, the urban poor here in Birmingham. Why? Because they saw a need. They saw needs that need to be met, and they're going to go meet those needs. There are all kinds of needs around the world that we as the church can step in and meet if we just see them. Today I'm wearing a, a red X on my hand, and some of you have asked me what the red X is all about. Oh, the red X is a symbol for the End It movement, and today is National Shine a Light on Slavery Day. This is a movement that started out of our church in Atlanta four years ago and now has become a global movement to shine a light on the fact that there are 27 million people in the world today who are enslaved, meaning they are working against their will in places all over the world. And they're working in bonded labor or forced labor or sex trafficking, and they're being forced to work against their will. It's amazing to me to think about that this reality exists all over the world, and it, and it does. And some of you have been to places where you've seen it up close and personal. But the, the reality of it is it's not just a out there problem. It's a, it's a right here problem. Uh, our, many of our cities, especially in the south, are hubs for sex trafficking right here in America. Believe it or not, um, believe it or not every three minutes a minor is sexually exploited in the United States. And it's hard for us to fathom that that kind of thing is, being, is going on today. But as we as the church start to realize that, that Jesus has saved us, that he's called us to be on mission with him, and we start to see the world in a way that he sees the world, we all of a sudden realize that there are a lot of people out there who have no voice. And if we as the church don't stand up for them, nobody is going to stand up for them. And so as we think about our mission, we need to think about the people around us who have no voice, the people who are in dire need, because God has called us to be on mission with those people. I'll never forget when we planted one of our churches in New York City. We planted it in a neighborhood called Chelsea, right in the heart of Manhattan. And one of the things we learned about the Chelsea neighborhood is that Chelsea had a very high rate of people living with the HIV virus uh, in that particular neighborhood. Now, I thought that HIV was something that was a problem in the 1980s, but I quickly realized that, that it was a major problem today, and it's a major problem in places outside of America, and it's a major problem in America, especially in urban areas. Well, here we are, this brand new church plant with a lot of Southerners, not real experienced in these social issues like that we were facing, but God began to break our hearts for the people of our particular neighborhood. Why? Because we began to see them the way that Jesus saw them, and people in our church started to get a heart for people who were living with different challenges, and, and in particular, HIV. And I'll never forget, there's a guy named Gregory. Gregory um, was a part of our ministry. He had been one of the guys we had reached out to. Gregory was a young professional uh, in Manhattan, very clean-cut uh, guy, business professional. And Gregory had kind of been watching our church from a distance. And one year, Gregory came to us and said, hey, I'd like to just kind of volunteer at your church. You guys, you people seem like really nice people. Well, what we didn't know about Gregory, but what we quickly figured out is Gregory was lost. But Gregory was just watching our ministry to the neighborhood, and Gregory decided he wanted to be around the people of our church. 
And so he just started volunteering. He'd come into the office. He would fold bulletins. He just did a lot of work in our church office. And then one Christmas Eve, he decided that he was going to come to our Christmas Eve gathering for our church. And on that particular Christmas Eve, Gregory gave his life to Jesus. And now Gregory is still serving Jesus today. But it's all because he saw what the people were doing in the neighborhood. And it all started because somebody saw people who were voiceless, people who had a need. And the church rose up to serve and meet that need. So as we think about these next three days in this missions conference, my prayer tonight is that God would begin to reveal to you and begin to break your heart for the people who are around you who need Jesus. Or that God would begin to reveal to you needs that you've seen around you, but you just haven't quite had the confidence to step forward and and, and to meet that need. On Sunday night, at the conclusion of this conference, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to that calling. You're going to have an opportunity to come forward and in this church declare to the people of this church what God is calling you to do. But before we get there on Sunday night, I think it would be appropriate tonight that we begin to just pray. And that we would be a people who would pray that God would just start to show us who it is that we need to be the light of the gospel too. The people around us that we need to start seeing more significant than ourselves. And tonight, we're just going to pray that God, in these three days, would reveal to us who those people are. And so in just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of response, and we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and just pray. To Come forward to this altar and just begin to pour out your heart to God Some of your pastors will be down front, and you can come and ask them to pray with you. As you begin to consider, as you begin to think about and pray about the people in your life who need Jesus, I'm praying that you don't let another moment go by. You don't let another GIC go by. Maybe you're like some in this room, and you've been to every GIC for 15 years. And every year when it gets to this moment, you say, well, next year, well, next year, well, next year. When the whole time God has been burdening your heart for a specific people or for a specific place. And my prayer tonight is that you would not let another year go by. But that tonight you would just open your hands and say, Jesus, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how this is going to be accomplished. But I'm praying that you just take control. Some of you tonight are praying for a lost son or daughter. And you have given up all hope for them. And you've stopped believing a long time ago that Jesus could step in and intervene in the situation. And I'm just praying tonight that you, your faith would be rekindled. That the same God who saved you wants to step in for that son or daughter. Or maybe it's a, a husband or a wife. Maybe it's a parent who doesn't know Jesus. And maybe for many of you in this room tonight, the mission starts as close as home. Before you start thinking about branching your mission endeavors out, the mission just starts at home. Whatever the case is tonight, I'm just asking. You're not committing to anything. You're not signing on any lines. You're just saying tonight by responding tonight that your heart is open for Jesus to lead you 
in whatever direction he wants to lead you. And that you're praying that you'll have the strength and the faith to be obedient as he leads you. So in just a few minutes, we're going to respond. The reason we're going to respond is because we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. As we close tonight, I shared a lot of stories about New York. We think very fondly of our time there and what we got to be a part of in New York was just monumental in so many ways, not only for us personally, but just what happened in the life of the church, the big C church uh, in our time there. But uh, three of our children, we've got four children, three of our four children were born in New York City. Our oldest, who's now nine, uh, when he turned a year and a half, or excuse me, when he turned a year old, he got a soccer ball uh, for his birthday. And when he was a year and a half, uh, he was old enough, he was walking around a little bit. And so we took that soccer ball that he got um, on his birthday, and we took that soccer ball to the Sheep's Meadow uh, in New York City. I think we might have a picture of the Sheep's Meadow in New York City. So we took that soccer ball there, and Sheep's Meadow is in the heart of Central Park. And uh, we just began to kick the soccer ball around there in that park that day. And after a little bit of kicking the soccer ball around, 17 acres, by the way, in that particular uh, patch of grass, Uh, and so we were right out in the middle of it. And so we're kicking the ball around, and after a few minutes, uh, we sat down. And we began to have a conversation like a father and an 18-month-old would have. So you can imagine it was real intelligent. I'm not going to say who was the unintelligent one in the conversation. I'll let you figure that out. It was probably me. And so we're just having a conversation. And he starts to look down, and he just grabs a handful of grass. And he starts holding the blades of grass right in front of me, and he's got you know, five or six blades sticking out of his hand. And without really even thinking and without me really even paying attention at first, he started saying, here you go, Daddy. Here you go, Daddy. Here you go, Daddy. And he gave away every piece of grass that was in his hand. Now, if you know anything about 18-month-olds, they are just now getting to the age at 18 months where they're starting to learn mine, mine, mine. And they're usually not sharing a whole lot at 18 months old. But my son gave away all of his blades of grass and then immediately put his hand right back down and grabbed another handful of grass. And he just said, here you go, Daddy. Here you go, Daddy. Here you go, Daddy. And that exercise went on probably four or five times. And every time the same result. He'd grab a handful of grass and he would give it all away to me. And I started to think about that. I was like, why was my son so willing to give everything he was holding in his hand away? And then it hit me. He realized that he had been given all the grass he could ever want. He was sitting in a field, 17 acres of grass. And so he could give grass away to me all day long. He could give grass to everybody in that park and not run out of grass. And we think about why we should be people who should open our hands and give away what we've been given. is because we remember that we've been given everything. 
and that we and we remember we can now love because why because he first loved us and we start to realize that we can't live out the mission of God on our own we're powerless on our own but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world no weapon formed against us will ever prosper we start to remember these things we remember that this gospel is alive and it's well and the gospel moves forward his word will not return void we're promised in Isaiah 55 and so we start to remember these things and we remember that everything we need for life and godliness Everything to sustain us, our very breath, has been given to us by God. Our salvation has been given to us by God. And so now, because he has given so much to us, we can now give to those who are around us. And so as we start to remember what he's done for us, we can start to see others more significant than ourselves. We can start to see them the way that Jesus sees them. And so my prayer tonight as we close and as we have a time of invitation is that you first would remember the gospel, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus, not by any works of our own, but by his grace, by faith alone. That's how we're saved. So we remember that. And then we realize that it's that gospel that propels us to action and we can move freely into all spheres of life because God has first freely given to us. Let's stand together as we consider these things and I'm going to pray in just a moment. But before I do, I just want you to seize this opportunity. The altar is going to be open. Some of your pastors are going to be here. Let's don't let these three days go by without responding to what Jesus wants to do. Let's not just allow this to be a, a religious experience, an exercise, something we do every year in February, but may this be a significant moment that alters history and alters the future for people who do not yet know Jesus. That's my prayer tonight. So just a moment, we're going to respond, but let's pray together first. Jesus, we love you so much, and God, we acknowledge tonight that we can love because you first loved us. And so, God, we acknowledge that, recognize that, and, God, we set humbled by that tonight. So, God, if our hearts are not moved tonight, God, move us by the power of the gospel. God, help us to remember it's the gospel and the gospel alone that has saved us and that we were helpless and without hope in the world. But, God, as we remember the gospel, may that propel us to action, helping us to remember that there are billions around the world, millions in North America, thousands here in Birmingham, and probably one or two in our family or in our workplace who don't know Jesus. And so, God, reveal those people to us tonight. God, break our hearts for those people. God, give us courage tonight to be the light of the gospel the eyes for those who have not seen. God, help us to be that tonight. So God, show us people, show us places tonight. God, help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna...